You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents The Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Republic City Report, the Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender, and here we are finally after such a very excruciatingly long wait. Uh, we finally get the debut of Book Four, Balance. Of course, I am totally joking. We did not have to wait very long at all, but that is something that we've already talked about on previous episodes. So I'm going to kind of skip all of that and just say hooray. Uh, I'm happy that Legend of Korra has returned. Uh, I still wish it was airing on television, but hey, what can you do, right? So, uh, of course, this episode is going to cover uh, chapter one of book four, Balance, which is titled After All These Years. And we've got a lot of things to talk about here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get all the preliminary stuff out of the way. I uh, just want to take a moment to remind you guys, as well as let my any new listeners know, that uh, this is a listener-influenced feedback sort of a podcast, which means uh, I very much invite you to email me if you have any questions or theories that you'd like to propose. Uh, I just ask that you keep them, uh, you know, relatively short if you can, just for the sake of time and sake of trying to get everyone's emails in and those things like that. So uh, if you have any questions or theories you want to talk about, uh, remember now, as far as we know, this is the final book of the series, which means this will be the final season of this podcast. Uh, unless by some miracle, there's just some new developments on something or if there's some continuation of some sort that warrants me continuing the podcast. So this will, for the most part, uh, be your last opportunity to contact me uh, and kind of discuss um, uh, The Legend of Korra. Um, so let's make this a good final season for both. The show as well as the podcast, and I want to thank you guys for sticking with me and coming back and wanting to hear more of these episodes. I very much appreciate it. Uh, this is my 30th one, and uh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're a guy sitting by yourself talking <laughs> for 30 hours or so, maybe a little bit less, it's a lot. But uh, I'm glad you guys haven't gotten completely bored hearing me talk yet. Um, so with that being said, uh, I do have an email for this episode I'm going to read later on for our correspondence section. Remember that core with a K. If you would like to send me your co correspondence, uh, send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Right. Uh, we finally got the debut of book four balance. Of course, episode one, chapter one, after all these years, uh, my previous episode, I kind of talked about. The trailer that was released so it's no big secret for anyone who saw that trailer that this season of Legend of Korra is going to take place three years after the finale of book three um, so there were some questions and some theories about whether or not it was going to start three years ago and then maybe over the course of an episode or two transition into three years later or was it just going to start three years later well if you saw this episode 
which you have, then we got our answer to that question. This episode pretty much starts off that way, uh, of course, in a very uh, cool sort of way, because normally when we get to our little uh, last time on Legend of Korra thing, this time we, we get that, but it's sort of the, the radio announcer narrator is kind of catching us up on some of the bigger things that have happened in the past three years. Right. So the first couple seconds of the episode is really just that it kind of lets us know in some in some ways the, the current state of the, uh, the Earth Kingdom, as well as uh, what's going on with, the, with Air Temple Island and uh, and things like that. And now Cora um, has a park that was named after her and it's a statue of her there, which is very cool. Um, so this is just a very uni- unique way of kind of telling us what has been going on this time. You know, without getting into too many details, but just giving us kind of the broad strokes of what's been going on. And now uh, there's just this area of Republic City uh, where they just allowed the spirits to take over. And now it's an attraction. It's a theme park. Right. This is something that I kind of mentioned before on on this show about it's so it's so realistic in the sense that if something like that would have happened in real life we as human beings eventually would find some kind of a way to make it into an attraction or make money off of it because that's just what we do, right? I mean, just think about a lot of the the natural sort of creations uh, and, and some like the eighth and ninth wonders of the world, that kind of thing that happens in real life. We've turned those into attractions. And, and that's basically what they've done here is that I think they call it the spirit wilds and now people are just kind of going around and visiting with the spirits and kind of making an attraction of it but not only that um you know cora has been we'll find out later on in the episode that cora has basically been gone for three years so it's not like she's been around in republic city to actually try to get rid of these things um so that they they embraced it and i guess they just kind of accepted it and now it's an attraction but uh I mentioned before that, you know, one of the most beautiful things, the opportunities that the creators have now by advancing time over a matter of years is that we can get to see the progression and kind of see how things have changed. And, you know, and that's basically what we get for the first half of this episode. I mean, before before it really gets into what's going to be the driving uh, storyline throughout this book. Of course, they have to remind us and let us know where our characters are, where they've come from, you know, over the past three years. And one thing I love about this show is that uh, one of the hardest things to do in, in storytelling and writing, and I think a lot of fellow writers and screenwriters and aspiring storytellers would agree with this, uh, especially when you're dealing with something like an animated show or a live action, something like that, is exposition. Right. If you don't know what that means, exposition is uh, in, a, in a in a movie, typically or a TV show, uh, you're 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 trying to explain to your audience. You're trying to explain things to your audience um, without necessarily having to show them or without necessarily having to tell them, you know, either way. Like it's very tricky because sometimes you don't have enough time to show every single thing that's happened. And you there's something that you need the audience to understand or get from that. So then you have to use exposition to explain that. Now, where so many shows and films go wrong is that they'll just have a person standing there telling you what happened. And it doesn't sound real because it just doesn't sound uh doesn't sound you know logical that that someone would stand there and say all of that stuff so then it it kind of takes you out of it because you're thinking well i know as an as 
as the audience, I know that they're telling me this because it's important to the story, but it sounds weird because it's it's being used as dialogue, right? So it's a very tricky, it's a, and it's tricky explaining what that means too, but it's a very tricky thing to do in movies and TV and some, and some do it well and some don't do it well. But Legend of Korra has done it brilliantly in this episode because the best way to use exposition is to do it through action right do it through the story as opposed to just having someone stand there and talk about it and that's what they do for the first half of this episode you know they're basically using these events with uh we've got we've got the the president of republic city standing there with asami and we've got everyone gathered at this train station and just through the dialogue and through the events but it's also explaining the story but not forcing it to us we learn what has happened in this time. And basically, Asami has kind of joined forces with Republic City uh, and Future Industries to basically build this monorail that connects Republic City to the Earth Kingdom. And I thought that was a, an, an amazing and a very great thing to kind of explore here, because once again, we have to show progression, right? Uh, that everything has to grow in some way. And that's one of the most challenging things about uh, advancing your story over a matter of years is that it gives you the opportunity to do some really cool things. But you also have to find interesting ways to show growth of the environment, your characters and et cetera. And I think they're doing a good job of that, because not only does this tell us this tells us several things, right? It tells us that, OK, we know what Republic City has been up to for the past three years. We know what the president has been up to for the past three years. We know what Asami has been up to in the past three years just by telling us that. Right. So we don't really have to spend all this time, you know, going into deep detail about those things. Because it's it's it comes across very subtly in in the dialogue, and we get a nice shot in the beginning. I recall of uh, you know a bunch of people are there, uh, Tenzin and his whole family is there. Nice to see that uh, you know everyone has kind of grown up a little now, right? You know, Janora has her hair back. Uh, Iki's a bit taller now. Of course, Milo is taller, but he's still Iki. He's still got his finger in his nose. Um, but yeah, so. And not only that, we've got these cool, you know, which we, we saw in the trailer, these airbender wingsuits that the airbenders now wear. Because remember, they've kind of changed now that we've got the new air nation. They're sort of like Jedi where they kind of roam around the planet. It's just sort of like this police type of force that kind of comes in covertly and, and, and helps people out. And they're obviously a part of that. And, then if, and, and even little Rohan has gotten bigger now, you know, and it's just those kinds of things that. Uh, it's, it's very tricky, but at the same time, it's very it's a very nice payoff when you get to see how a lot of that kind of stuff turns out. Now, what's basically going on here is, you know, as they're kind of talking about the 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 uh, the new station and the monorail and everything. But we also get introduced to a brand new character here. Right. Prince Wu. So everyone was wondering after what happened in the last book at the Zahir and the Red Lotus pretty much dismantled the earth kingdom because they killed the earth queen uh now we get to see her successor because there was some you know we had we had a lot of speculation on what exactly was going to happen and who was going to take over but as in typical i guess royal fashion is just probably just her next of kin right it's like her great great nephew Wu, which Wu is obviously going to be a big part of our comic relief 
of this book, which I like him a lot. I actually think he's very funny. Uh, he's a very immature, kind of goofy kind of guy. He's, he's almost like a, a very exaggerated version of Bolin, like kind of over the top, which says a lot because Bolin is pretty over the top. But this guy, you know, he even makes Bolin look kind of tame. But it's very funny because all it does is make a very interesting dynamic between he and we come to find out later, Kuvira, who he has the right to the throne. But Kuvira in herself is also kind of rising through the ranks as a possible leader. And this is something that we've seen in, in history itself, you know, like uh, very typically in, in the just the history of the world. Uh, when it comes to royalty and princes and kings, you know, they became royalty at really young ages and they were very immature and they didn't really know what they were doing. But since they were next of kin, next in line, they were handed all this power. But who held the real power, right, is whoever the biggest general uh, strategist was in the group. And, you know, and, and that's in this case, Kuvira, but we'll get more to that in a second. And then. You know, this also provides an opportunity for us to find out exactly what's been going on with Mako, right? We learned that Mako has been assigned to protect the prince as his bodyguard, but it's only supposed to be until the end of the coronation, and then he can go back to being a detective in Republic City. Um, now, of course, some things happen later on to where, you know, that doesn't really go as planned, but, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, we spent a little time with catching up with Asami as she talks to Prince Wu. You know, this is basically kind of establishing his uh, character development here just so we don't, you know, he's just not thrown in there all of a sudden. We kind of get to learn a lot about him just <laughs> listening to him talk to Asami. Um, so that's very cool. But at this whole time, you know, we, we go into this episode, we're wondering, well, what's the status, right? What's the status? Is, is Asami, has Asami and Mako gotten back together or whatever? Or, you know, um, what exactly is going on and what has happened in these past three years? But we find out that, no, I mean, honestly, Mako and Asami aren't together and they haven't really seen each other all that much. They're kind of talking about how good it's going to be to get everyone together again. And then it kind of lets us know where Bolin is because she asked about him. So this is what I mean by exposition. They're giving us exposition without just saying it right it's a part of the story they're using the characters in a very wise way to ask those same questions that we ask but it doesn't sound forced right and that's just one of the best things about this show and then that's what you call great writing uh so we get that. And not only that, you know, Asami makes a comment about, you know, I can't wait until Korra comes in tonight. We haven't seen her in a while. So, you know, in a matter of what, about maybe a minute or so, we've already found out <laughs> a lot about what has happened to our main characters in the past three years. Um, so that's very cool. And then also I didn't mention, but Chief Bay Fong is here as well. So, you know, we, we've already kind of gotten most of our, our guys out of the way here. Um, but of course, we'll get more as the, the episode develops. So um, we kind of get a moment here where uh, where Prince Wu is kind of talking to Lin and Tenzin and the president. And they're just kind of filling him in and just kind of reiterating, uh, you know, how important this is. And his <laughs> his life is kind of in danger because what, we, what we're learning from this and what we're going to learn even more so is that as a result of what happened to the Earth Queen three years ago at the hands of Red Lotus, uh, 
the Earth Kingdom more or less has kind of been uh, disassembled in a way. It's kind of broken apart and into these different factions, these different, you know, smaller city states or whatever you want to call it. You know, people are kind of branching off doing their own things because they don't have a ruler. Right. So these little smaller entities with governors and, you know, and mayors and, and stuff like that are kind of forming their own thing. But of course, without that overarching government in place, it, you know, it just led to nothing but trouble. And now most of those areas are being ran over by bandits and rebels and, and, and all kinds of resistance and people are going wild and just committing crimes. And it's very unstable. Right. And, uh, you know, it's been three years, so we kind of get some shots here, some examples of just how bad things have gotten in the Earth Kingdom ever since the Earth Queen was killed. And that just goes to show that, you know, Red Lotus, while they had their own motives and what they thought was for the best, well, all it did was really just kind of uh, just provide this kind of environment to where people can just do whatever they want. But that's not always the best. But this is also an opportunity for us to show uh, for us to see Kai and Opal as they arrive on a, on a Sky Bison. Uh, looking pretty B.A., I have to say. Looking pretty B.A. Of course, Kai has, has grown now. He, he hit puberty in the past three years, <laughs> as he should have. And, and it's great. I mean, I just love I just love to see those kinds of things. And we get to see these really cool air suits uh, in use. And, of course, both Kai and Opal have become much better airbenders over the past three years. Um, one thing I have to say about Kai, and I did not look this up because, well, you know, if I look up everything, then I sometimes I won't have anything to talk about on the show. Right. So I come up with these theories and I have these questions and then I just ask you guys, because if I look it up, there's there's no fun in that. Right. So uh, Kai's voice. Right. It sounds like the exact same voice actor from book three, but the voice is just deeper. So I'm wondering if that's the same voice actor. Because if that's one person that did both voices, and that's amazing. Now, granted, they could have used some kind of, uh, you know, voice modulation or something like that to kind of change it. But uh, it very much sounds like it's the same voice actor because this little Kai kind of has like this little lisp uh, accent sort of thing when he talks. And it's still there. And I noticed that. And I thought that was just like the coolest thing ever. Uh, so if anyone happens to know the answer to that, send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. Uh, but I, it wouldn't surprise me at all because this show, you know, they're known for putting that kind of a thought and detail into the writing and into the voice acting and everything. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. That's the exact same voice actor. And they just found a way to make it sound older uh, just to have it that much more authentic. Now, we get our first shot of this new monorail system that's, of course, going to Republic City to uh, the Earth Kingdom and back and forth. And then we get to see our pal Bolin to see what he's been up to this whole time. Bolin has now joined basically the Metal Clan and is a part of Kuvira's uh, sort of uh, military. Right. So. All these big questions that we had at the end of book three about Kuvira and who is she and, and why did they emphasize her importance like that all of a sudden at the end? Well, obviously, we knew that that was going to turn into something in book four. And here we get to see what it is. And basically, Kuvira has risen through the ranks over the past three years. And she's basically the head of sort of the Earth Kingdom metal clan, sort of military here. And she's kind of made it her own personal mission to go around and reunite all of these separate entities and get them back together to form one united uh, republic 
uh, I'm sorry, one, not Republic, uh, United Earth Kingdom again. Uh, but, you know, in true sort of egotistical rise to power sort of form, you know, it's it, it's becoming kind of clear that she's she's becoming an antagonist here. Right. And in the trailer, it really seemed like that anyway. So it's going to be sort of another example here of someone who thinks they're doing the right thing. And maybe they are, but they're they're they're, they're going about it the wrong way. Right. And you can just kind of see this power surging through her i mean she's a lot tougher than she was the last time we saw her uh, and not only that we get to see varick and julie again and uh opal's brother which i can never remember his name but um they give us this cool sequence where they're on this monorail uh where they're being you know they kind of let them they, they let kuvira know that you know there's some rocks blocking the track and that uh there's basically some bandits about to attack and they're saying, like, well, we'll send the troops out to get him. And Kuvira's like, no, I'll handle them by myself. So <laughs> this that in itself accomplishes and explains uh, a couple different things. Right. One is that this is a perfect opportunity for the creators to show us immediately how much of a B.A. Kuvira is. Right. Because she's going to go out here and basically whip all of these people by herself using metal bending. So we already know, based on this one scene, how much of a formidable of a foe she is in terms of her metal bending. Now, you know, is she is, you know, is she better than Su Yin or Lin or even Toph or Korra for that matter, you know, or someone? Well, we don't really know uh, for sure. But it gives us this, this cool opportunity for one to give us some action. And then it kind of establishes the kind of leader that she is. That she's not to really be messed around with here. So it's it's character development for her. It's a reward for us getting to see some cool action. Uh, it also establishes how much of a B.A. she is. And through her conversations with these bandits. Gives us an idea of what she's been up to for the past three years. And exactly what her motives are. Well, not, not, not her true motives. But what her uh, apparent uh, motives are, you know, to everyone else as, as far as getting all these bandits under control, getting them united. But the way she's going about it isn't the best because she's talking about, you know, pledging loyalty and, 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 and allegiance. And those are just those are those are like uh, buzzwords. You know, those are words that kind of don't really resonate right when you hear them. Not in some place that's supposed to be united, you know, allegiance and loyalty. Those are strong words. And these are the kind of words that Kuvira basically uses throughout this episode. So it's not a coincidence that that's going on. That way, the creators are letting us know that this is going to become a problem. Uh, and I'll talk more about her and things uh, a little later when we get to correspondence, because the email that I have actually kind of pertains to that and Bolin and kind of some of those things. Um so yeah, we get that cool sequence there. Very nice. Uh, and then, well, we get to see... Uh, we get a little bit of, of Mako kind of, you know, um, chaperoning Prince Wu around. Uh, so, you know, it's basically some comic relief. It's kind of letting you know that he's not particularly happy with his job that he has. But, but Prince Wu kind of really does rely on him. Um in this situation and it's actually really it's kind of a really funny thing because he's he's escorting him out of this hotel and uh there's like paparazzi there and you know this is a very political season you know uh legend of Korra has already had has always had this sort of political 
undertones and not even really undertones. I mean, a lot of it was really obvious stuff. I mean, ever since book one, you know, with Tarlock and Noah talk, I mean, you know, in, in Amon and everything. And it's just like it's always been something that's kind of been political in a way. And we've, we're they're continuing that with this book. Uh, <laughs> and in this really funny scene, we kind of get him kind of on the red carpet, leaving the building. And he thinks people are cheering for him. and They really don't like him because they're Kuvira supporters. And Michael kind of uses this sixth sense to kind of see, which I don't know, it's a little it's kind of strange how they kind of emphasize that, you know, just the way it was edited. It makes you wonder if, if has Michael developed some sort of a extra ability in the past three years or is this just his you know intuition as a cop that's probably what it is but the is very interesting choice of showing it it was almost like it was some new ability that he developed but i'm sure it's just the cop's intuition uh but yeah we get some funny moments there between he and prince Wu, and uh we always have to have our comic relief and uh we'll be getting a lot of that from prince Wu. So meanwhile, this monorail we find out was actually going to this same town that Opal and Kai were there to kind of save uh, within the Earth Kingdom. Um, so we get a re we get a reunion here between Bolin and Kai, as well as Bolin and Opal. And of course, this through it's through this scene that we learn that Bolin and Opal are still together. Uh, because Kai refers to him as her boyfriend and, and, and such. Uh, but then we also find out that there's been some tension here, right? Because something happened between Kuvira and Suyin and Opal three years ago that kind of uh, made this dr this rift. And as a result of that, Opal's brother is kind of a, a part of that too. So we get to see we get some tension between those two, and we also find out that now Kuvira and oh, I really have to learn his name. <laughs> Opal's brother are engaged. Right. So once again, just through a bit of a conversation, we find out, you know, we know something happened. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know there's a tension there. And rest assured, that tension will turn into something else. And uh, and we'll also, you know, later on in this episode begin to affect Bolin. I'm going to see how much stronger Opal has become as a person and more confident in her abilities and her purpose and. You know how dedicated she is to helping and, and Kai seems to have changed a lot. Of course, we knew he would. He's not the same sort of delinquent that he was now. He, he you know, he's he's a new day and he's basically just uh, doing his thing and, and, and being a, an, an air nomad and protecting people. Uh, but we learned a lot from this scene because, um, you know, Kuvira kind of, I mean, we actually see sort of a softer side of Kuvira a little bit here in this scene when she's talking about being engaged. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think at this point she's necessarily a bad person, but, you know, with anyone who has a, you know, great power, well, it comes from great responsibility, right? And uh, it's very easy to abuse that power. And we kind of get to see that through this whole thing, because the whole reason why she's there is to try to convince these, the governor of this town to sign a contract for our protection and reunite with the rest of the Earth Kingdom or Kuvir. But, you know, it's just the way that she words it, that it doesn't sound like the best deal. <laughs> and this guy, he's thinking that the only reason why you want to reunite is because I have ore and my resources here and all that kind of stuff, which means, well, basically, that's true. Right. So they have reason, good reason to be wary of her and her motives. 
because, you know, everything's just not really adding up the, the way that it should. So he refuses uh, and she basically says, well, hey, you know, if you want our protection, this is what you have to do. He refuses. Um, so they, they basically say she basically tells him, well, you know, we'll be here for one more day at the border uh, for you to change your mind. You know, and after that, we're gone. Um, and then, you know, Bolin has to leave with them because, well, he's a part of that now, which makes Opal mad, which drives kind of a rift in between them. Uh, but now, you know, the airbenders here in the meantime, they want to be able to help out. So they're saying, you know, Op Opal and Kai are thinking, well, you know, we can take, I think, what's the bison's name? Lefty. Uh, we can take him and get some food, and bring him back in the meantime, at least so that we can get these people some help. So, um, so that happens and that, and, and that's a good idea. So we get that. But what we also get here <clears throat> is on their way to drop off the supplies, they get attacked, right? Um, which results in them, you know, this, this is basically going to force the hand of this governor. So now he's going to be like, okay. You know, you guys tried to help us. It didn't work out. We need your protection. We need the protection of Kuvira's forces now. So don't be surprised if Kuvira was behind that person robbing them of the food. Because, we, you know, we kind of have reason to believe right now that she very well be could be that kind of a that kind of a leader who would stage something like that in order to well not stage it. I mean, it really happened. But, you know, to kind of. Uh, secretly do something like that in order to get that governor to come around and she basically pretty much did that and, and you know i don't think they state that for sure in this episode but you know rest assured that that's that's pretty likely what's going on there so he agrees to to uh to sign it so i mean we're off to a pretty good start here in this episode and, and you can see the the political things you know the, the more the more these episodes progress the more i start to kind of understand why they got pulled from nick i mean we all know the real reason they got pulled from nick was probably because of the ratings but the ratings were probably lower because i mean an episode this episode is actually a pretty good uh example of how this show is just not necessarily for kids i mean yes kids can very much enjoy this but when you start getting to all these political things and like you know these conquerors and you know it, it can go over a kid's head pretty easily um, so I can kind of see how that would happen. Now we get to visit the Air Temple here for a moment and kind of briefly catch up with some of our, our characters there. You know, we get a little funny moment from Milo, a very anime-inspired moment from Milo, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, we don't get to talk to Janora, which I thought was which I thought was very odd. I mean, we see Janora several times, but we don't hear from her at all in this episode. Um, of course, that'll change, but it's just it's just a little bit strange, I think. Um, but you know, we, we, you know, we have, there's plenty of time for that. Uh, and then, you know, we get a moment here where Mako finds out that, well, he's pretty much stuck being <laughs> Wu's bodyguard. Uh, and there's not much he can do about it here. So, you know, this means we'll get Mako in Earth Kingdom, which will hopefully give, um, uh, us another chance to see, um, Bolin and Mako's extended family, right? Because we can't forget they, they, you know, they had to introduce them for a reason. So now Mako's going to be protecting Wu in the Earth Kingdom. Well, then maybe he can go visit his family and all those kinds of things. And we could find a way to bring those characters back into the mix. 
Now, remember, we talked earlier about, you know, you know, a few people mentioned the fact that Korra was supposed to show up at the end of this episode. So at this moment, we get sort of an announcement from a monk that uh, a ship from the Southern Water Tribe has arrived. Um, so at this point, of course, we're, we're being led to believe that Korra is, in fact, on that ship. And uh, we, we'll finally get to see our avatar, right? I mean, we haven't seen her for this entire episode. But we know that the state she was in at the end of book three was not a very good state. So we were expecting there to be some sort of, a, you know, something still going on with Cora here because they that obviously affected her a lot. Um, but before we get to that, we get a brief little scene showing how, you know, how excited people, everyone is that Kuvira has now offered them protection but once again, she's like, pledge your loyalty to me. You know, that's I mean, that's not, that's like Darth Vader. You know what I mean? Like you say that kind of stuff. That's that's not good. So she is slowly rising as this season's antagonist, though. I'm not sure if she's going to be the main antagonist because, well, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to gang up on her and take her down. But we'll see how this how this pans out. Now, of course, we get our ship here. Naga runs out to 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 greet everyone. We get a meeting here, reunion between Tonrock and Tenzin. But of course, in this moment is where we find out that uh, Korra is not with him. Uh, as a matter of fact, Tonrock was on the impression that Korra was in Republic City. Uh, apparently, Korra left the, the Water Temple uh, six months ago. And said she was in Republic City when she wasn't. And no one knows where she is. Uh, so we find that out from this moment as well as kind of getting a reunion here. Now the question is, well, where's the Avatar, right? Where's Korra? <laughs> I don't know if anyone was able to, was going to be able to predict something like this. But it turns out that she's basically kind of doing this underground fighting thing somewhere in the Earth Kingdom. So we finally get to see Korra in the last like two minutes of the episode and she is getting whipped. She's pretty much getting beaten by this random earthbender uh, kind of in this old in the there there in the the squared circle a circle octagon sort of ring sort of thing. She's basically kind of just doing this underground fighting thing. Which, you know, you usually when stories use an angle like that, you know, it's because the person is kind of doing some soul searching. They're trying to find a place, for, you know, their new place in life and they do what they do best. Right. And that's fight. And that's kind of where she's ended up at here. And, and she loses the fight. But in her defense, you know, this this core is very broken uh, mentally and physically. I'm sure like we don't because at this point we don't know how long it took her to recover. She could have just finally recovered two weeks ago or something so you know she kind of loses this fight and not only that she's she's not going to use all her bending because she doesn't want anyone to know she's the avatar right so she's only using earth bending here as well so we've got this probably out of practice out of shape unfocused Korra who's only using earth bending so it, it kind of makes sense that she would lose um, this fight because she's obviously going through some things and you know, we're going to have to we're going to watch her throughout the rest of this season regain herself, get back on her feet, reclaim her title as the Avatar and come out of this stronger than ever and hopefully finally earn that title, the Legend of Korra. Um, but right now, of course, she's just kind of broken. And it's really sad. It's really sad. Um, but, you know, we, we knew that this was going to continue. 
and it will continue. But she will come out of it, and that's the most exciting thing. I think I'm looking forward to this season is seeing exactly how she comes out of it. So that was our first episode back uh, after that very long break that we had. No, not very long at all, but yeah, very exciting stuff there. Um, I, I enjoyed the episode very much. I'm looking forward to see what, what happens with our new characters. Um, you know, mainly Kuvira and, and Prince Wu. Uh, and we may even get one or two more in the next couple episodes. You know, and then I'm, I'm interested to, to go back and see what has been going on with uh, Su Yin this whole time. And uh, is there anyone else that, that, that we haven't seen yet? Um, well, you know, from the trailer, we know that at some point we're going to see Katara and we're going to see Prince Zuko and we're going to see the new Fire Lord. And, you know, it's going to be a very exciting, interesting final season here because this is the last one and it's going to go out on a high note. And right now we don't have any reason to believe that there will be a book four. So please make sure you support the show while you still have a chance, while it's still around uh, and all those things. If you have any questions or comments about episode one or the rest of the season, uh, so far, be sure to send me your correspondence to RepublicCityReport at gmail.com. So on that note, I'm going to switch over to uh, an email that I received um, pertaining to this episode. So I have an email here from Brandon. Brandon, thank you very much for sending me an email. Feel free to email me at any time. Uh, and it reads, I want your opinion on this. Why do you think Bolin joined Kuvira's forces and is Kuvira evil or does she just seem evil? Thanks. Well, to answer that question, let's see. As far as why I think Bolin joined Kuvira, it's because, you know, several reasons. For one, the most obvious reason is that the creators needed an, a story arc for Bolin, right? We needed, they, we needed there to be some growth with him. The question Rest assured that after they finished writing book three, that the, that they all had a big roundtable meeting and sat down and said, OK, if we advance the story three years, what kind of progression do we want to take through all of our characters? And they had to decide what to do with Bolin. And someone said, hey, you know, let's make him a part of Kuvira's forces, and everything. But it's not just it also makes sense, though, right? Because, you know, Bolin is an earthbender. You know, yeah, I mean, sure, you know, he's Mako's brother, who's a firebender, but he's an earthbender. So it's almost it's uh, in a way it's kind of where he belongs. Uh, and not only that, he finally has a job. You know, I mean, he was kind of just a, a, an actor before. But um, I think the, I think the main reason why they did that is it's, it's kind of a way to tie him into what everything else is, is going on, um, because he you know, not not only he's also dating Opal. Right. So. It makes sense that he would, especially being an earthbender, uh, find himself in a position that will be more tied into those things as well as being a part of the metal clan because his girlfriend is a metal clan citizen. So it stands to reason that if he spent a lot of time with her, eventually he'd be like, OK, well, I, I'm comfortable here now. I'm, I'm around other earthbenders and, and it just gives me a purpose. And 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 not only that, Kuvira is we I mean, we've already established the fact that Kuvira is very manipulative. Right. And and most of most people in power that rise to power like that are, you know, they, they have this way of convincing people to do what they want you know i hate to get really serious here and use this example but hitler was was known for that right you know 
it, it, it's amazing how you can do so many evil things and convince other people to do them as well. But that that is one of these things that is so unique about uh, certain people. Right. And Kuvir is one of those people. Now, we don't I don't think she's evil necessarily. You're asking if she's evil uh, right now. We don't have reason to believe that she's evil, you know, um, because as far as we know, she's not just mass murdering people or anything. She's just kind of conquering these 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 places and she thinks she's doing the right thing. You know, that's one thing about Legend of Korra and Last Airbender. It was it was it was always more than just being evil with these villains. It was always deeper than that. And with her, she's probably just thinks she's doing the right thing. Once again, like Zaheer, you know, he kind of has his his kind of viewpoint on how he thinks everything should go. I mean, he's willing to go through these extremes to get there. This is probably just another example of that. So to answer your question, I think I think Bolin joined because, well, he, he was it was convenient for him because he was there and he was with Opal. So he was probably spent a lot of time in Zalfu and just end up making sense, especially with him, you know, his newer lava bending abilities. You know, Kuvira may have recruited him to join because he's proved himself time and time again in the face of danger that he can that he can triumph. Now, is he going to stay a part of that? No, I don't think he is. You know, I think once Kuvira gets out of hand and everyone is starting to realize that she kind of needs to be stopped, then rest assured that he's going to quit. But it's probably going to take a little while because what that does is that it's another thing. Um, it, it it provides an opportunity for conflict. You know, if Bolin is a part of these forces and he's kind of confused, then that gives him an opportunity to conflict with Korra, Mako, uh, Chief Beifong, Opal. You know, so that all that does is introduce another potential story element there, which kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. So for all those reasons, I think that is why Bolin is with Kuvira's forces. And I don't and I don't once again, you know, I don't think Kuvira is evil. And right now she doesn't even really seem evil. She just seems, you know, like, you know, she's very manipulative and corrupt. You know, I think there's a difference between being corrupt and evil. And right now she just may be corrupt. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to see a lot in the next in the upcoming episodes to see how that's going to turn out. Be very interesting to see how all of this plays out in the end. So that was all for correspondence. Once again, send your correspondence to RepublicCityReport at gmail.com. Uh, and I will gladly read your email on air as well. Um, that about does it for this episode. Um, thank you guys for coming back once again. Uh, be sure to get all your emails in. Uh, I don't know exactly when I'll, you know, you know, as like before, I don't have a very set schedule for the days that the episodes, the podcast episodes will arrive. You know, it's just a matter of me getting around to watching the episode a couple of times and then being able to actually sit down and record the podcast. And then sometimes it may take a day or two before it even gets put up just because, you know, we're all busy and all those kinds of things. But I want to thank you guys once again for joining me here. Uh, so that about does it for this episode. So until next time for Republic City Report, I'm Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys. And I'll see you next time. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter 
at Awesome Pods.